So Ephesians chapter 6, we're in a series on spiritual warfare uh, from Ephesians 6 that we're calling The Good Fight, The Good Fight. And um, a little bit of review, today's our last Sunday in this teaching. And the first Sunday we talked about prayer as resistance, if you remember. And I don't really say this often, but I really encourage you to go back and listen to this series after, in its entirety after it's all over and take notes maybe the second time around if you didn't the first time around. But the first, and I think it's an important uh, series in the life of our church right now and where God is leading our church. Um, the first teaching was prayer as resistance where we said that the apex and the climax of spiritual warfare in Paul's writing in Ephesians 6 is praying in the spirit. And that we are to do battle there in prayer, partnering and petitioning, uh, partnering with God and petitioning God to act and allow um, all our, all right action to, to begin from prayer. So every time we act, it would start from a posture of prayer, petitioning God. Um, we shared the, the parable of the persistent widow who did not, as our prayers of the people did today, very well. We, you do not settle for injustice in this world. We just don't. We just do not. And we go before God and we're like, this is not okay. Like the stuff that goes on in the world is not okay. And I know my newsfeed blows up with all the stuff going on all the time. It is not okay. And we go to God with that and then allow that to, um, to direct our action in the world. So that was the first Sunday. The second Sunday, we uh, talked about fighting the powers, fight the powers. And we, that Sunday was focused on making sure we we're fighting the right enemy that we fight by going in the opposite spirit, that we're not fighting against flesh and blood, that we're fighting the right enemy. And then last week, Mark Sayers was here from Australia, a friend of mine, and he, he taught on, I mean, a lot of stuff. Like, he's like one of the smartest people that I know. And I went back, listened to the teaching twice and took notes on it, and it was, it was incredible. I got a text message from uh, Kevin Cook, who's an elder here, and Ruthie Kim, who's on our preaching team. And they both said, this is a prophetic word for our church right now. And it was, it, was, it, was, it was so meaningful to our church. So please go back and listen to it. He said all kinds of stuff. One of the things that stood out to me, he said that meaning is found in struggle, in the struggle. Meaning in our, our lives is found as we, as we say yes to the fact and the reality that we are indeed in a war. And he also said that we have to fight the flesh. And so I want to unpack a little bit of that today as we finish our series on Ephesians chapter 6. So verses 10 down to verse 18, um, and then let me pray. 10 to verse 18, let me pray. Verse 10, finally, Paul writes, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. Let's pray. 
Lord, this is a lot of stuff. And as we've gone through it now for the last uh, four weeks, um, I pray that some of this would start to seep into our bodies, into our minds, into our souls, into our spirits, into who we are, how we see the world, and all of that. I ask God that you would direct my words today. Would you allow the different parts of this series that are this teaching that seem, in my, even in my mind right now, to be like not cohesive, to like find a way to make sense. And I, so I submit my mind to you and my heart and I ask together that you would illuminate our hearts and minds to this reality. I pray the prayer, show us, Lord, this reality. Show us that, um, that there, is, there is more that are with God than are with without God, that there are greater is he who's in us than he who's in this world. Would you show us that today? Um, in Jesus' name, Jesus' strong name we pray. Amen. 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 Over my uh, sabbatical, uh, Ash and I spent time in Paris. And while in Paris, um, we got an Airbnb, which looked great in the pictures. Um, oh, you heard this one before. Yeah, it looked great in the pictures. And it was actually really charming in person. Um, and so we were there and we spent, we were spending, I think, five, six days there or something like that. But two days in, I started to feel really, really funky, like really spiritually funky. And I couldn't put my finger on it at first. I didn't know what I was feeling and I didn't know what the cause was. Nothing had changed. Ash and I were living in a great traveling rhythm together. We loved the opportunity to explore together and talk and walk and eat and all the great things you do when you get to travel. And we loved Paris, um, having visited there before together. But by the second day, I, it was like that I slipped into what felt like depression. And for me, this is for me, um, this place, this, this room, this house, this, this thing we rented, spelt, felt spiritually dark after the, the second day. Oppressive even. Some would even say, I, would, I, I categorized it during this trip as demonically oppressive. And you might not believe me or you might not get that. And I understand that. That's totally okay. Um, you might not ever walk into a room and feel maybe spiritual energy like that. Um, I understand that. My, my wife, um, it didn't bother her at all, really, when she was there. She's like, this place, I mean, it's kind of weird, but it's great. I like it. Um, but for me, I felt like spiritually oppressed, not to be too dramatic, but like oppressed. And I, and I, and I, and I, I felt like everything that a spiritual oppression feels like to me, um, and, and I, I was laying there on the couch and I just could not move. And um, I started, I wrote in my journal what I was feeling, like exactly what I was feeling. And this is what I wrote. It's not on the screen. This is just what I, I wrote. I said, spiritual oppression feels like being stuck. And you know you're stuck. And you know you should exercise spiritual authority. And you should get up and go. And you know you're in a bad situation. A situation that neither you or God want for yourself. You just don't have the energy or the motivation to move. Like you're in a dream when someone's laying on your chest and you can't move. That's spiritual oppression. That's how I feel right now. That's what I wrote. So I, I you know, I'm kind of dramatic. So I get, I get kind of dramatic with Ash. I'm like, oh my gosh, this place. We got to. And I said, there, there's two things that we can do. And as you can see, at this point, I've gone like pretty dark. She goes, I go, we have two options. We could, we can just leave and lose out our money. There's no refunds at this, at this point and find a hotel or we can do spiritual battle. And she said, whatever you want to do, babe, I'm in hundred percent, whatever you want to do. And I said to her, I'm too tired and I'm on sabbatical. I don't want to have to fight spiritual forces of hell right now. <laughs> 
I just, I'm tired. I, I re- I'm like, leave me alone. Say, I, I just want, I don't, so let's just leave. And I, I just, I, I want to go. I don't care if we lost money. And so we prayed and then we left. And I share that story for two reasons. Um, the first is you might right now be in a similar place that I was at where um, you can't put your finger on what's wrong at all. Like there's something wrong, something funky. And I'd like to posit that it might be something spiritual. Now, I know it might sound silly to a bunch of rational Western people, but the Bible says that our world is deeply affected by a set of evil and shaping influences. And you might need someone to pray for you, and you might need someone to help you see a path towards health and discipleship to Jesus in your life right now. That's the first reason why I shared that story. But the second reason is this. I share that story because I want to bring up the tension of this war that we are all in. We are in a war and I want to highlight and I want to confess to you that at most times I don't want to be in this war. I feel like I did when I was in Paris in this Airbnb. I'm like, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I don't want to fight. Like, I don't even want to fight the devil. I'm like, can we call a truce? I don't like to fight. And I honestly, I don't like to fight. And you might feel this like, I'm so tired of the relentlessness of the enemy, that there's no truce with this enemy unless you live on his side and doing his will. There's a truce there. But following God, there is no truce. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, you are in a war. If you are not a follower of Jesus, you too are in a war, but you are being held captive in this world by the great enemy of our souls, who is what this, who the scriptures called Hasatan or the Satan. More on that later. And I felt this when I was, when I was there and I feel this even today. There's part of me that like, I don't want to be in a war. I don't want, I love just getting along. And I almost just want to get along with the enemy. Kanye West has a song called Ultralight Beam. Have you heard this song? <laughs> on his Life of Pablo album. And um, uh, in the, technically it's Kanye West, but but practically it's Chance, the rapper. But anyways, that's a different, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, in the middle of the song, the choir sings, okay? The choir comes out. It's like this gospel choir starts singing. And this is what they say. The, the choir says, I'm trying to keep my faith, but I'm looking for more. Somewhere I can feel safe and in my holy war. I'm, I'm trying to keep my faith. I'm trying to hang on to my faith, but I need more faith. I'm looking for more. I need to find a place where I'm safe and I'm like free from this, this war I'm in. I feel like I'm in a holy war and I want, to be, I want it to end. And from the first time I heard the lines to that song, I've resonated with them. I feel a lot of the same way. Like I'm trying to keep faith. I'm trying to live how I think I should live. I'm trying to do the right thing, but it's like I'm in a war. And so I'm looking for more faith. I'm trying to find this place where my life, I feel safe and that there's no more holy war going on. And by holy war, he means the war of following faith or giving in a temptation. That war in our souls. This, this album is called The Life of Pablo, which he says is a take on the Apostle Paul. And in this song particularly, he's talking about what Paul calls the war of the flesh and the spirit. And what's going on in the song is that he says he wants it to end. I want this holy war to end. And maybe you can resonate with that. Maybe you're tired of life being so hard. Uh, you're tired of the struggle. You're tired of the fight. You just don't want to fight anymore. Ephesians 6, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And we have to put on the full armor of God. The Apostle Paul uses here an extended metaphor from a soldier who puts on the appropriate pieces of armor. Okay, This is extended because he takes this metaphor and he kind of runs with it. He's like, we're in a war and we're like soldiers and we wear armor. And then he just takes it one step further and then the armor is like a belt. That's the truth. And then a breastplate, that's righteousness. And a helmet, that's salvation. And shoes that are gospel shoes. And a sword, that's a spirit. And the shield, that's faith. Right? So he, he takes the, he, this Paul, like just going off, like, well, this is a good metaphor. I'm running with this thing. He just like runs with this extended metaphor. And the whole point of the metaphor is that we have to put on this armor so that we can resist. That's what the word means, to stand against the, we have to fight against the devil's schemes. We are to put on the, we have to dress for war. We have to put on this full armor. And as it says on the screen, The main point of this imagery is that Christianity should be understood as warfare. The main point that he wants us to understand is that Christianity should be understood as warfare. You and I are in a war and believers should prepare for this warfare just as any soldier would prepare for a battle. We must prepare. We must be outfitted rightly. We must put on the armor of God. But this battle is not against nations. Lawmakers or law enforcers, this battle is not against our friends or neighbors or fellow San Franciscans. This battle is against what Paul calls the powers. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, he says, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now before this in chapter 2, Paul described how the devil and and the powers work in concert with the flesh and the world to keep us dead to the things of God and to hinder God's redemptive work in the world. So let's do a little work here. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2. So turn your Bible to the left or scroll up or whatever you do. Paul says, this is how, this is like the conglomeration of evil and how it works. And he does it in chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. He says this, as for you, He's speaking to the church that had been redeemed by Jesus. As for you, you were, past tense, before you were Christian, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And now this is where he explains it. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. That's the world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's Satan. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. There's the third part, the flesh. And following its desires and thoughts. So what Paul says here is that there's a, there, there's a, like a threefold conglomeration that keeps us um, away from God's redemptive purposes in this world. He says it's, it's the world, it's, it's the Satan, and it's our flesh. So on the screen is a, is a diagram of how Paul sees it. And they all kind of overlap. He sees it as the flesh, the devil, and, our, and the world. And they all work together. Now, how do they work together? Let me, let me explain these words, what, he, what Paul means by these things. Paul's saying there's three different influences that work in concert to keep us in sin. 
or to keep us in transgressions or to keep us in following the ways of the world and the flesh and the devil. And they are this, the flesh. Now, here's where it might get confusing. It, I, I just read, it says, we do not fight against flesh and blood. Okay, and then last week, Mark Sayers said, we have to fight the flesh. And you're like, wait, I'm so confused. Do we fight against flesh and blood or we fight against, or we not fight against flesh and blood? Like, what do we do? So, but when Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, he means that literally like people. We don't fight against people. When Paul uses the analogy of our flesh, he's talking about our sinful propensity towards evil. Okay, that's the difference. So when we fight against our flesh, the flesh is the inner propensity or inclination to do evil. Paul says this is the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. This is, this is not, this is so important to understand. This is not your physical body. Your physical body is not bad. Jesus had a body. Adam and Eve had a body before the fall. One day you will get a renewed body in the new heavens and the earth, new earth. Bodies are good. What it means by flesh is the inner pull to do what you know is wrong. It's the desire to not trust God. It's the desire to live prideful. It's that inner pull to live pridefully. It's that inner pull to act lustfully. It's that inner pull to go your own way, to go, I know that that's what God says, but I don't want to do that. I want to do this thing. I know that that's what my community, who's a Christian community, says, but I don't want to do that. I want to go this way. It's that inner pull to rebel. It's to rebel even when we're in church. We're sitting in church and we're like, I just don't like what he's saying right now. And we, I want to rebel. It's that thing that's going on. It's the thing that goes on when it's just that, that flesh thing that we fight all the time. Last week, Mark um, said one of the prophetic things, he, words he had for our church, uh, meaning uh, something that he heard that he really believed that God was saying to our church at a specific moment in time last week. And I, again, I didn't. I, I had... I didn't talk to him at all about this. And so I, when this came out of left field for you guys, it came out of left field for me. And I, I affirm, I think this is right. He talked about agendas. And he said, we all have agendas in our, he goes, I feel like this church has a lot of agendas and some of them are really godly. And the problem is that we carry them out in our flesh and we ruin things. I was like, whoa, that's, that's so spot on for our leadership to hear, our church to hear, like all of us to hear, our elders to hear, all of us. Like we all have things that we might want to see happen in our church, but what we do is we take them up in the flesh, meaning we take them up pridefully. Um, uh, what happens is that we get a little bit of like independence from God mixed in there. We get a little bit of like, um, uh, uh, I want to do this my way in there, or I could, I could like push this thing forward if I network with the right people in there. Like we kind of start working our agenda and we're starting to work in the flesh. That's the flesh. And the flesh gets involved in all kinds of stuff. And so the exhortation last week was to lay down the agendas and let God tear apart the flesh part. Like remove the flesh and, and, and amplify the spirit. That's the flesh. But the second way that Paul talks about that, that we're inclined to, toward evil is the world. And the world is the unhealthy social environment in which we live. The world is like the way, he, Paul calls it the ways of the world. You used to follow the ways of the world. The world is either flat out evil, like genocide and rape and murder and oppression, or it's, it's uh, what, how, how I see it manifested more in San Francisco, is that it, it wants to, to line up with a biblical idea of peace 
and shalom and the kingdom of God and the dignity and worth of every human, but it wants nothing to do with God. That's the, like, no, you, we want all the things that the, God, that the Bible wants. We just don't want God or the Bible. And that, that's like, that's the, that's the influence of the world. It wants peace, but not the God of peace. It, it, it desires to honor the dignity in every human being, but denies the reality that dignity only can come from the fact that we're made in the image of God. And the world is subtle in its pull away from our life with God. And it's always this uphill battle. That's the world. It's like pulls us away. Our schedules do this. The time that we spend like... Like the, the things that we, if you just kind of went through the current of the world, it kind of pulls you away from life with God. And the third is Satan. Um, in Hebrew, it's hasatan. In, in, um, uh, in Greek, it's diabolos or the devil. The hasatan is adversary or the, the one who opposes. And diabolos is the slanderer or the accuser. And Satan is an intelligent, powerful being that is thoroughly evil and is directly involved in perpetuating evil in the lives of individuals as well as on a much larger scale. So in short, the aim of Satan is death. Death. Death of humanity, death of creation, death of all that is good. This is physical death, this is emotional death, this is spiritual death. Jesus says these two things about the Hasatan, Satan. He says, speaking to people who were under the rule of Satan by being oppressive religious leaders, he said, you belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out what your father desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. He also said in John 10, 10, the thief, speaking of the Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to its full. So Jesus contrasts his kingdom with the kingdom of Satan. Scholar N.T. Wright says this about the Satan. He says, the biblical picture of the Satan is a non-human and non-divine quasi-personal force which seems bent on attacking and destroying creation in general and humankind in particular. And above all, uh, and above all on thwarting God's project of remaking the world and human beings in and through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so... That's a huge overview of evil right there. So what Paul says in Ephesians 2 is that Satan works in harmony with our flesh. And Satan works in harmony with the world. Satan works in harmony with our flesh. For example, there may be some of you who who struggle with lustful thoughts. And the Satan, the adversary, will take advantage of this and start to exploit this tendency towards lust. And start planting seeds of thoughts in your mind or um, lies in your mind. Like, this is okay, that everyone deals with this and it's whatever and it's not a big deal and don't do anything about it right now. You need to tackle this later, not right now. You don't have the time right now. Just give in to this lust, that sort of thing. And he starts to lie. And then if he can get you to sin, he's the accuser. So he gets you to sin. And then he says, then he will exploit your sin. He will tell you to run as far as you can from God because you're an unworthy hypocrite and you deserve only darkness. He will tempt you and lie to you to get you to to fall into lust. And then once you do fall into lust, he will then accuse you and say, I cannot believe you're so weak. You're such a hypocrite. Don't go to God. He's so sick of you. That sort of thing. And we believe it. And we believe both of them. 
And then that cycle continues and it swirls and it leads to incredible self-hatred. And in many cases leads to death, spiritual death, emotional death, and maybe even physical death. And that cycle continues. The Satan works in harmony with our flesh. This is even for Christians. Satan also works in harmony with the world. And I don't want you to think of weather patterns and natural disasters here. His primary concern is people. And if he can focus his energies on people, especially people that have, the status, have status and power, he can thereby exert a significant impact on the course of culture. And the way that Satan comes at us are always through lies that don't look evil. Satan is so, he's so much smarter than you are. And so he doesn't show up to you and, and he never comes up to you and says, hey, you know what? Let's become alcoholics. That sounds fun, right? He never says, hey, let's oppress the poor. Hey, let's get addicted to porn. He never goes and says that to you. It's subtle and you don't even know he's working. Remember, we said this a few weeks ago, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world that doesn't exist. It's like, that's not Satan. And we just think that there's no way. And he doesn't do that. He doesn't like, he the Bible says he closes himself like an angel of light. You think it's a good thing. Like pretty soon you're oppressing the poor and you think, well, it's, it's for the greater good. Pretty soon you're addicted to pornography and you're like, how did I get here? I can never set out to do this. This, this is how, this is how um, Satan works. All this to say this. I don't know if you're feeling this in the room right now. You don't stand a chance. You and I don't stand a chance against this, this, um, this trilogy of death. The, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And this might sound really bleak to you, but there's hope. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God. See, this isn't just like a cute Sunday school Bible study. This is like for real, life and death. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. What's the armor for? The devil's schemes. The armor is for you and I to resist the devil's schemes. That you and I do not participate with the devil. We don't participate with the world. We don't participate with the flesh. We need the armor so that we can resist his schemes. So what is the armor? The armor is the fortification of your life against the flesh, the world, and the devil. Write that down. It's the fortification of, of your life against the flesh, the world, and the devil. Think of armor like strengthening or protecting or fortification. If you feel that you have no fortitude in your Christian life, it's because you do not have the armor of God on. And it's not something you can go in your closet and go, well, my armor, that's this, that, 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 and put it on. You're like... Suit it up, ready for battle, the Lord Jesus. That's not how it works. It's not that easy. You can't do it like that. This is the fortification. This is an ongoing process. This takes time. This takes time. Write that underneath that, that, that sentence that I had you write down. This takes time. You can't just do this during second set. You can't. This takes an incredible amount of time. Last week, Mark Sayers said this, and this was... This was so good. He quoted someone. I didn't even write down who he quoted. But he quoted someone. So this is a quote from a quote, but here it is anyway. <laughs> spiritual warfare is fought with the spiritual disciplines. That is, that is money. You need to write that down. Um, if you don't get that, sit with it for a while. 
That's what Paul's talking about with spiritual armor. Spiritual warfare is fought with spiritual disciplines. What does that mean? That means this. I want you to notice something about this armor. So uh, everyone turn back to Ephesians 6 real quick. The armor is something you wear on your body. That's obvious, right? You wear it on your body. Put on the full armor of God. So he does this. But what we do is we make this and we spiritualize everything. We make it all about the spiritual life. But the spiritual life must make its way into our bodies. It must make its way in the way that we think and act and live. And how we use our hands and how we use our eyes and how we use our mouths and how we use every instrument that we have on our bodies. Spirituality must get on our bodies. Armor of God must get on our bodies. Meaning, so when you listen to all these things being talked about, Breastplate of righteousness. He is talking about not just the, uh, the righteousness that's given to us by Jesus, but living rightly with our bodies, living rightly. When he's talking about the helmet of salvation, he's not just talking about like we're saved by grace. We are. It's actually living a life that's in line with the salvation that we've been, we, that we, that, uh, the salvation which we've been saved by. It's living worthy of that calling. It's getting it into our bodies. Now, let me explain an example, which I know I will lose 99% of the room. But if you could just hang with me, it might make sense or it might flop. I don't know. This might be fun to see if I flop. Okay? Just hang on. I know, um, how do I start this illustration? I don't have it written down. So I'm just going to, um, uh, golf. Okay? The sport. Well, you might not call it a sport, but whatever. Um, my wife hates golf. She says, so boring. So boring. And you might think, it's the most boring sport. And you don't watch golf and go, oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> no one does that, right? I don't, I don't think I've, I don't know anyone who doesn't golf. But you can watch basketball and go, that's, that's actually amazing. You can watch football, that's amazing. You can watch soccer, that's amazing. You can watch these sports and like, that's amazing. The thing with golf is that it's just so boring because it's simple. It's some person swinging a stupid club, hitting a stupid ball. It's just simple. It's just so like, it looks really easy. It looks like anyone can do it until you try. <laughs> and you try, you're like, this is the dumbest. Why won't it go? Why won't the ball go? Where, like, why? This doesn't make any sense. I don't like it. So I was with a, a mentor of mine and we were golfing, right? And so um, I hit a shot and it was bad. It was just a bad shot. And this guy is like Jesus. So he's like walking. <laughs> he's like, Dave, you know, Golf is a lot like spirituality. And I'm like, okay, here it comes. <laughs> he, said, he said, you know what you're doing wrong in your mind. You know why that ball went that way. And when you watch this on TV, you know, like, I know, look, I could do that. We know it in our minds. We know the fundamentals in our mind, but it just hasn't gotten to our body yet. You can't hit the ball right because it hasn't gotten to your body yet. Your mind knows exactly what to do but it hasn't gone into your body yet. It's like Christianity. We know what to do, just hasn't gone into our body yet. And I'm just like, it was, I was completely in I'm like, this is the best round of golf I've ever had. Like I get, I get Christianity now for the first time. Thank you very much. Like I get this. And, th and I don't know if, that, if you get that illustration, but that's why golf looks so boring because it looks so easy. Like oh, this just guy swinging a club, hitting a golf ball. We tried it so hard because you think you know, I think this should be easy, but you haven't got it into your body yet. This is the same thing that Paul's saying. We must get Christianity into our bodies. We must get spirituality into our bodies. So it's hard not to do the things that God calls us to do. To where disobeying God is harder 
Harder to do. That's hard to do for us because it's in our muscle memory. This is why spiritual warfare is fought with spiritual disciplines. You and I think that we can act like on the spot like Jesus like that. Bam. You and I think that we'll stand in front of Satan and go, I'll know exactly what to do in front of Satan. I'll just do exactly what Jesus did when he, was, when he faced Satan. And I'll quote three scriptures and I'll be bam, done. And like, see you later, sucker. And I'll be, it's going to be awesome. And you, get into, you, you don't even get that amount of it. You don't even fast for 40 days. You just skip breakfast and you get tempted. And you fall like that. Because you haven't lived, a you haven't like followed Jesus with your body over a period of time where this armor has like got into your person. That's why. And so this is Paul's like, you need to practice these things. You need to practice getting the armor on every single day. And I don't want you to think of it like breastplate of righteousness. It doesn't, it doesn't matter the placement because Paul calls um, a, a, the breastplate of, uh, breastplate of peace later on. So it's just not, it's not like just a, it, he's talking about get righteousness on. And get peace on. And get salvation on. And get the, the, the gospel, the sword of the spirit on. And get faith on. Put them all on. And then live into them. Do them. Become them. Re receive the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. And then live according to Jesus. Receive the salvation of Jesus. And then live according to the salvation you've been called to. Receive the gospel of peace. And then be quick to speak the gospel of peace everywhere you go. Take on the gospel, which is the word of God, and then be quick to use it when you need to. This is what he's talking about. It's not, it, don't connect them to the armor pieces. He's saying, put it on. Get it on your body. Get it on your body. This is how we stand against the schemes of Satan. This is how when I, to start this sermon, why it was very difficult, like hearing all this, like, well, I have no hope in the world. The sin of the flesh, the devil, and the world pull against me. I, have, I can do nothing. You can do something. You can begin to, to, to um, discipline your life towards this armor, to put it on. Put it on. Practically, let me give you, let me just drill this down a little bit, a little bit more practically. This also means this. There should be a holistic approach to our healing. A holistic approach to our healing. So some of you guys are dealing with some really, really heavy things in your life. Maybe addictions, um, uh, self-hatred. Um, you're dealing with uh, a lot of pride that you can't get over. Uh, you're dealing with like, you think you have it, like your life kind of, everything that you've, you thought you wanted is still not enough. And you don't know what's going on. You don't know how to fix that. And so a holistic approach to healing looks like this. There might need to be a peace, speaking of this demonic peace that we talked about, there might need to be some prayer deliverance sort of ministry where you might feel like oppressed by the enemy. And there might need to be someone godly from our prayer team that just lays hands on you and prays for you. And that might need, that might need to happen. You might need to come forward and then maybe randomly someone just starts praying for you. Or that happens all the time in our church. Like someone like, I feel like God wants me to pray for you. And the other person's like, wow, yes, please pray for me. And this was going, there might need to be like something needs to break spiritually, like a stronghold in your life that needs to break spiritually through prayer. That is, that is true, can be true for sure. But there's another layer of that is because, because, it's, because um, of the flesh and the world and the Satan, we have to go deeper. Even in that sometimes we need to go to like sound biblical counseling or therapy. 
Because there's ways that we've been trained to live and think that are wrong. And we need someone to help point those out and show us a way forward. Along with prayer, we need sound, some of us need sound, biblical counsel, therapy. And it doesn't end there. Some of us need, all of us need this, discipleship to Jesus. We need to put the armor on every single day. We need to go, okay, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus practically every single day. And I'm going to walk in this new life every single day. So it's not as simple as sometimes it's one of them. Sometimes it's all three. But it's so complex. What I was sharing with you, the, uh, the, that, that trifecta, the flesh, the devil, the world. It's so deep and so nuanced and so buried into our psyche that it, sometimes it takes more than, more than deliverance more than therapy and more than discipleship to Jesus. It's like all three of them. It takes all three of us to walk with God this way. For some of us, that, has, that, that needs to happen. And maybe that's this is the first time you're hearing this. Like, oh, I thought, just prayed about it and that was it. No, you, you actually might need to walk this out a little further. Lastly, I want to close with this. There is power in confession. Because this is true. If we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Because of what Christ has done, he's faithful and just. There is, a, there is so much power in confession. Um, the enemy, I really believe the enemy wants us living in unforgiveness. He wants us living in unforgiveness before God and before other people. And what breaks that is confession. Like that, that, that truth, uh, the confession of truth and the, and, the, and the acceptance of the grace of God destroys the enemy's work. And so we cannot live in unforgiveness before God. If there is something before you and God you know that is unconfessed sin, confess it to Christ. And then come forward and kneel or receive communion or get prayer or something. If there is some confession that you need to make towards another brother or sister, go confess that sin. And then confess it and be free. Start working towards reconciliation with them, but be free before God. Lastly, what I want to do as, as our time ends, I want to spend time discerning what it is, um, how can we can be wise on Satan's schemes. He's a liar. He's been lying to this church for a while. He lies to us. And so I don't want to believe those lies. I, I want you individually to just ask God, God, what am I believing that's not true? And then ask Christ to, to bury those things. To, and maybe, there, maybe through um, what I've been saying, you need some prayer, like some serious prayer, like the prayer team. And you think there's something funky going on and I don't know what it is and what Dave said at the very beginning kind of sparked something I don't really know. I, I want prayer. And they would love to pray for you. But if it's beyond that, and it is specifically disciples of Jesus, but if it's beyond that, that you would begin to walk toward healing. And that you wouldn't think, bam, one Sunday, fixed it. Done. That is not how this works. This is an ongoing process of us as a church taking up in our bodies the armor of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the power that is in the blood of Christ to free us from every 
sin, every weakness, every wrong, broken thing, and to restore us back to you, Lord. And so I pray for our church, I pray for condemnation, that that would be, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I pray for those of us who just feel right now um, like, maybe tricked, like, wait, I thought that I just had to believe in Jesus and everything would go well. I can't believe someone didn't tell me that there was more to it than that. I pray for those that, that feel that way, that they would be given a lot of grace right now to start to align their lives with the life of Jesus and start walking in the way of truth and righteousness, putting on righteousness and peace and salvation and faith and the, and the, and the gospel and, and the gospel of peace, that they would begin to put these things on and wear them in their bodies and in their lives as they go into to work tomorrow, as they go from this place this morning, that we would begin to walk in these things. Lord, this is a, this is a, this is a journey. Lord, I just really feel like, um, even now, like the, uh, a lot of us think that this is such a quick hit thing. We should reveal to us, Lord, by the power of your spirit, that this is a journey that we're on with you. Like, almost like the Lord of the Rings or some sort of journey, like that sort of a journey that's, that's long and wrought with peril, but you are with us. You are with us and the struggle will continue, but you are with us. And greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. And you've given us the victory in Christ. And I pray that we take that up in real practical ways now as we respond to you in Jesus' name. Amen.